So, Paul, did you, did you enjoy it? I don't know. Are, are you a converted England fan now? I don't know how I'm gonna get through this podcast. I don't know. I don't know how I'm gonna be able to talk intelligently about this. I've been completely overwhelmed by the experience. I'm not a converted England fan. This is a it's a reconnection. Like I think I've, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but as a kid and up to sort of probably my early 20s, I was a massive England fan and just fell out of love with them completely. And I'm I'm back in love, Ed. I've fallen, I've fallen head over heels back in love with the England football team. Never, ever did I think I'd see the day. How, how are you enjoying it? Yeah, I've, I've been enjoying it. I mean, I would say that my relationship with, in, with England was... Um, when I was younger, I, I enjoyed watching England. From about 1998 onwards, I didn't enjoy watching England uh, because there was a lot of rubbish, there was a lot of hype, and there was a lot of, lot of total, utter t- shouty t- and all the shouty t- have gone. Uh, and there's some mostly nice blokes and, uh, you know, perfectly nice manager. Bit Tim nice, but dim. I, I uh, made that reference with... Uh, Tom, producer Tom, and uh, a few of his uh, his friends uh, yesterday after the game, and none of them got it because they're all millennials. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because they're not old enough to remember the last time England got to the semi final of the World Cup. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. The when we were growing up, so 1986 got to the quarter final, then 90 got to the semi-final and they weren't in it but they got to the semi-final of Euro 96 so this was like almost normal but of course there's like a generation and a bit of England fans who've never seen anything like it and it's like it's slightly overwhelming like just the thought that I mean obviously I could easily lose to Croatia but the thought that they might be in a World Cup final in a week's time is just I just can't I, I as people will hear, I mean, I'm, I'm not joking when I say I'm not 100% sure how I'm going to be able to talk eloquently about this because every, my whole experience of this has been, like, very emotionally led rather than, like, rational and, you know, thought out and stuff. But we'll get there as the, as the show goes on. Uh, we will. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the games, shall we? I, I guess we'll... Uh... We should lead off with England and okay. um, what, what was um, much less drama than the Columbia game, you know, an efficient win. And then we can talk about France really dog, a dog turd of a game. <laughs> Absolute stinker. Not surprisingly uh, involving France. Um, then there's Brazil wait, and Belgium like, was awesome. I'm not, gonna, um, I'm not just going to take that ridiculous slander given that the game of the tournament featured France and, and of the two protagonists of the France-Uruguay game, it wasn't France that made it a stinker. Like, but I'm not having that. For the, I don't know. Check out France's... France's... France's, France's XG. Check out, um, check out the fourth... <laughs> France's XG is not just down to France, is it? It's also, like, it's Uruguay, it's, it's Uruguay's job to make that game difficult. That's, that's, the idea that France stunk out the place, like, they just, that they were involved in, like I said, the uh, game of the All tournament. right, all right, don't get so touchy, get so touchy. I was just leading into our conversation about the games, and then uh, Russia, Croatia, which wasn't an awesome quality game for a lot of it, but, uh, uh, had some drama, didn't it? Anyway, let's talk about England, and we can get on to the rest, and then we can preview the semis. Can we start? Because we recorded this in the middle of the second round, so the, the penalty shoot hadn't happened, and th- that was the kind of 
and that was the moment something inside of me snapped. <laughs> Basically, that penalty shootout. I couldn't. I couldn't watch the first two pen until Rashford had scored. And then, so I was on my front lawn, just like pacing up and down. And then I went in after Rashford had scored because I just could not watch Marcus Rashford miss a penalty for England. But I should have had faith. And then, should have done. And then Henderson, a decent penalty from Henderson that was saved, as everyone said. Yeah, but if, if his gate wasn't so wobbly, then <laughs> he'd, he'd, have, he'd have struck it in, wouldn't he? Uh, never forget, he almost lost it. <laughs> yeah, um, but Eric Dyer, like when I was standing there waiting, first Pickford makes the amazing save, standing there in my living room, watching Eric Dyer about to take this penalty and suddenly being over, and knowing that, you know, this was it to win it suddenly being absolutely overwhelmed by the sense that, oh, of course Eric Dyer can score a penalty in these circumstances. And then he did. And hearing Southgate afterwards, no, Pickford afterwards, talking about working with the analysts and hearing Eric Dyer talking about practising penalties after long training sessions and they weren't talking about heart and courage and nerve and all that. They were talking about the fact that Taking penalties is ultimately, of course, it requires, you know, requires heart and courage, but ultimately it's a technical exercise. And they got that so, so right. And that is that is Southgate right there. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, lots and lots of detail and preparation and sensible, um, you know, thinking about his squad, his team uh, and his opposition. You know, and uh, I think I think that was um, it. It is Southgate, and he's. I think he's surpassed many expectations. Um, I, you know, I don't know whether uh, the uh, you know um, progressives in the FA, um, as they've always been, actually made the uh, appointment for those reasons. I think they probably gave him the job because he was one of the one of the club. But actually, it's turned out to be a very sensible one, hasn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I, I guess after this tournament, expectations will be adjusted, won't they? Uh, and so he may come in for some uh, challenges. But um, you know, he's taken uh, what was, I think, the second youngest squad in the the tournament. Yep. Um, uh, you know, with very few caps, uh, and and he's moulded them into a, a, you know, a team and a squad that are playing for each other, um, as well as you know te- being technically sound and doing all the right kind of preparation. You know, it's um, you know the actual game against Sweden. The first twenty minutes, it looked like it was going to be an absolute stinker, didn't it? It looked like a pub game uh, when them heading the ball back to each other and uh, an awful lot of passes being misplaced and a lot of nerves on both sides, I'd say, and, and not too much quality. Uh, England grew into it after that, though, didn't they? Yeah, I mean that first fifteen minutes, um, it it was like, oh, okay, here they are. Here's here's England. Like they've shown up. They look cowed by the occasion. I mean, this is not a criticism. This is they. This is where their kind of youth and inexperience looked like it was showing itself because because they really did look properly nervous in that first fifteen minutes. Because um, obviously. I'm not saying this is like a team of world beaters or whatever, but comfortably handling the ball and passing it around amongst themselves is not something that they should be struggling with as a collective, given given their levels of ability in that area. Um, no, but it really did look like it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not often you've seen too many teams, you know, and definitely not in the, the rest of the semi-finals, um, 
you know, looking that sort of technically short of being able to pass the ball yeah, uh, and I, creatively and move it, you know. And I, I, I guess, like, it didn't happen for the rest of the game. So England definitely got more into it. Yeah, I just, um, I, I just that to me, that's not a technical issue at all. That was an entirely nervous. That was just about nerves because they settled so, so, so well. Like once they scored. Um, they they just then they found their rhythm and in the second half in particular I mean the Maguire goal is is magnificent there's a lot of kind of like oh England haven't scored many from open play and yep they haven't but that's because they haven't had to because their set pieces are so mm. good you know they also haven't created many chances from open play and that, that is a bit of a it is definitely a, a worry at the business end of the tournament isn't it I mean um, uh, I think Kane has now well, he scored six off six shots or something like that uh, or six shots on target nine in total you know so he isn't taking that many shots and England aren't creating too many chances the chances they create against Sweden though I mean there were some good ones weren't there Sterling probably with two very good chances I actually thought he had a decent game I know he gets a, he's going to get a lot of criticism um uh, well did um but he's he's the only player in England side that's um uh, finding space in between the lines you know Lingard's continuing to make those bursty runs but he's not the kind of player that's going to um bring the uh the opposition out, out of shape Ali is I know he's not fit I mean I know he scored but he didn't have a good game apart from that he was struggling to really play the Ali game you know so um uh, you know, there's some frustration there, creating chances, missing them, not creating enough. Um, against Columbia, it's probably not creating enough. Found it hard to break down uh, a team that didn't want to play very much football. And different against Sweden because they play two up front. They're, they are more open. Um, you know, they obviously, they were happy to concede possession, but, um, they, you know, didn't play complete anti-football. Um, and, and you know, I guess it would have been much, much more comfortable earlier in the game uh, if a few of those chances had been taken. Yeah, I mean, I thought Sterling was excellent. Like, yeah, he missed the chances, but he was crucial to almost everything good that happened to England in that game in a lot of ways. Jesse Lingard, Jesse Lingard was, I mean... He was magnificent, magnificent in that game. He got the assist, a beautiful assist, a goal from open play. But as Daniel Story wrote on Football 365, sort of quite a free kicky cross for a goal from open play. You know, he addressed the ball almost like a free kick, like Angel Angel Di Maria's goal earlier in the tournament, all Beckham's mm-hmm. against Arsenal. You know, it's free kick from open play sort of situation. You're right about Deli Alley. I mean, he he definitely looks not quite fit and also I'm not sure the role suits him that well, which is understandable because No, no, I I mean I'm guessing Sterling gets in his zone quite a bit. You know, he's playing perhaps deeper than he might want to. But I think Kane uh, Kane gets in his zone too, because Kane drops a deep but but mostly it's not even players getting in his zone, it's just that he's a th- he's one of a three, you know, in in midfield, isn't he? So he's got to he's He's only got Henderson behind him in the centre of the park. And Lingard has got that defensive instinct all day, every day. But I'm not sure Deli Ali has it to the same extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, all right, how much do you want United to sign Harry Maguire? Because for me, it's a lot. It's really a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think he's a much better option. I, I've been chatting with um, uh, Kick in the Grass on Twitter about this for some time, you know, and well, well before the World Cup. I think we were both on board that it'd be a, a very fine purchase for United. He's very, very comfortable on the ball. He's a good defender, getting better at that. Decent pace, you know, can push in the midfield. Um, uh, he's looking, uh, he, he steps up a level. You know, which each new thing he's taking on, I think he'd be an excellent purchase. Um, obtainable because he's at Leicester. It looks like they're going to try and, you know, tie him to a new contract. Um, uh, it, <laughs> what is more likely, I suppose, and this is not going to be an anti Mourinho rant, but, you know, given that Mourinho likes sort of proven ability, it might be more likely that United spend a lot of money on Toby Alderweireld. <laughs> Um, and uh, just finance Spurs' purchase of Harry Maguire. <laughs> uh, Maguire is also an absolute human giant. Um, the other England players call him Slabhead in training because he's so good at the headers. Um, Greg Johnson calling him the Minecraft Superman, which I just think is beautiful, a beautiful description of what Harry Maguire looks like. Um, but yeah, Jesse, I want to talk about Jesse Lingard some more. Um, you could not ask for more out of him, really, from this World Cup. Maybe one or two more goals, but you know he's 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 scored that one against Panama and and he's got the assist now. I don't know if he's got an assist in a previous game or not, but he's just been so important to England, and it is beautiful to see. And you can see how much it means to him. And you know, I don't even know if I said this last time, but who more embodies the spirit of the kind of likable, connected with the fans version of England? than Jesse Lingard, who's going up and down with his phone after the Columbia game, taking videos of the fans, singing with them. You know, it's it's massive, that is. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's, it's part of the reason why this England team is actually likeable. Yeah. So, um, uh, and, uh, you know, and he's connecting with the fans. I'm, I'm not sure an England team has connected with the fans like this since 96. No, I mean, definitely, definitely not. Definitely not. Maybe 98, there was some of the hangover from 96, but the Beckham thing kind of broke that, and that's partly on the fans themselves for their ridiculous reaction to it. But, you know, the, the, that was definitely the last time it was anything like this. And and it really does matter. I mean, this is very Anglo-centric, so apologies to everyone that's not listening here. But being here, being out in the centre of Birmingham... It, it was amazing. There was a genuine feeling of kind of togetherness and enjoyment. Football is so divisive often, you know, cities are divided by their football teams, aren't they? But to kind of come together behind the national team and not to feel that icky about it, although like the 10 German Bombers song obviously got an airing because people can't help but be idiots. But, you know, generally speaking, it was positive, optimistic, diverse, um, engaged. And the whole thing, the whole kind of beautiful meme of it's coming home, like it's coming home isn't necessarily about England winning the tournament. Like it, it never has been. First of all, the song wasn't really about that in the first place. It was about the location of the tournament. Um, but, but the it's coming home thing is people caring about England again. That's what's come home. Like that has actually happened. And, you know, you said, um, they might, uh, they might, uh, something like they might pay for that later in the tournament or might suffer for that later in the tournament. But, we're at that's it whatever happens now we lose to Croatia that's fine like getting to a semi-final of the World Cup is absolutely incredible Mm. I mean it literally hasn't happened for 28 years 
No, no, yeah, I, I actually mean after the tournament, expectations will change, mm, but that's mm. that's for another day. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. For, look, for the most part, it's uh, it has engendered a very good spirit. Obviously, some idiots uh, jumping on ambulances and people's cars and uh, actually um, in my neighbourhood riding on top of a bus. <laughs> smashing, up an I- smashing up an Ikea as well, which is so unnecessary. Smashing up an Ikea is just ridiculous, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, all day drinking uh, and football does seem to promote that kind of thing, doesn't it? It's also been, um, been sunny here for like four weeks in a row and it's literally never happened before, so people don't know how to react. No, no, that's right. And there's a, a very good correlation between heat and violence. Yeah. Uh, incredibly good, yeah. Um, uh, you know, which we'll learn about in the next 30 years as uh, the world heats up some more. <laughs> it's, to do with, it's to do with the uh, the split job that the hypothalamus has to do because the hypothalamus is both responsible for regulating temperature in the body and also has a massive role to play in mood and habit so Mm. like when it's overtaxed dealing with the heat thing the other bit of its job goes a bit funny sometimes hashtag healthcast (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and also you know uh, everyone's drinking loopy juice uh, including (laughs) me yeah because the game kicked off at uh at, at three, and uh, as I was just chatting to you off air, I think before it finished, I'd, I'd uh, managed to drink six pints, which is an awful lot for me, <laughs> and may have topped it up a bit afterwards as well. Uh, so you, so you, that's a young man's game, Ed. That's a that's a Ed in nineteen ninety six game. That is. Well, you know, I, I popped round to producer Tom, producer Tom's uh, place after after the game um, for a little barbecue, um, and uh, as I left. To make my way uh, back, um, they were contemplating going to the pub. <laughs> Don't know how producer Tommy's feeling today, but I may <laughs> shout a bit. Um, Sweden created three chances, each one saved excellently by the remarkably impressive Jordan Pickford. Um, yeah, who, who took some criticism, didn't he, earlier in the tournament from uh, Thibaut Courtois. He apolog- was very, very, like, very apologetic about that, said he kind of was really, felt like it was properly misunderstood. He was definitely not trying to have a go at Pickford, you know, all that. So, good on you, Thibaut, for apologising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yeah, um, made some excellent saves, especially one one-handed down to his left. Yeah. Um, obviously, he saved a crucial penalty against Colombia um, yeah. and and has looked a very solid pick. And I don't think anyone is feeling sorry that Joe Hart is at home. You know, <laughs> Joe Hart being part of the shouty brigade. I mean, can you imagine if uh, your man, Sam Allardyce, was still manager? Um, we'd have had uh, Terry in the back line, Wayne Rooney up front and shouty Hart in goal. Yeah, no, no question. That David Hart trick... Um, tweet that's been gone very viral about uh like um the tune the panama game england won panama nil allardyce saying like rooney 76th minute allardyce saying you know man and match performance from jt we just wanted to be in with a shot before the belgium game and we are <laughs> you know uh, anyway that's not what's happened we live in the beautiful universe of gareth southgate who is certainly no football genius. There are, you know, the substitutions continue to be a bit late and a bit straightforward. Um, He's not a tactical genius, but the job he's done with the psychology of this England team is one of the most impressive feats of short-term football management I've ever seen in my life because I did not think it was possible for someone to do that with the England team or to even know that they had to. And I think the fact that he was a player in the relatively modern era, an England player, a high-profile one at that, um, 
has and and the fact that he's a thoughtful man have combined to to really make him the man for the job in spite of his kind of ta- tactical limitations. Yeah, right. And uh, I mean, I, I agree with you on the substitutions thing. Uh, it's almost always like for like, um, and sometimes a bit conservative. Um, I don't think he's changed the game with a substitution yet. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think he has. Um, he's not got a lot of lot. Of, he's not got an awful lot of depth with which to change a game. I mean, a lot of samey samey players, uh, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, you know his, his options up front are, are Rashford, who I think he probably just sees as although it's it's Sterling who he normally comes on for. Um, he probably sees as actually reserved for Harry Kane, yeah, because um, Sterling's playing a bit deeper, you know. And I guess Loftus Cheek for for um, Ali is the the other option he could make. Although this time round it was I think Dyer came on for Ali, didn't he? So maybe maybe Fabian Delph actually. You know, maybe Fabian Delph, yeah, yeah. Dyer came on late in the game. He has done that a couple of times. I think Rashford got about thirty seconds or something this time round. Did you see the post match interview with Fabian Delph where he called his wife an absolute machine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pumping out the babies. Yeah, it's like oh, all credit to my wife. She's an absolute machine. So strong mentally and physically. It's like, oh, this is using amazing footballer cliches to talk about his wife. Um, yeah. Um, but look, um, uh, you know, some some uh, fine performances again from England players, um, fine collective performance. It was it was really comfortable and professional. And even when Sweden pushed late in the game, you know, after they were two down and they started to try to play a bit, it wasn't as if it... it really felt like it was ever on the line you know this is um Pickford made a couple of good saves um but England were pretty comfortable I thought not not definitely not overwhelmed at any point um and and, and I suppose you know it's just Sweden um and they're definitely going to face a much better side in Croatia uh, it's this, this was not an England team that panicked no so we'll do proper full previews of the two semi-finals at the end of the show. I guess we should. I mean, I have to say, I never thought I'd say this, but reluctantly move away from England. Um, and let's talk about the dreadful clash between France and Uruguay. Uruguay spoiling for all they were worth. Um, and France getting the, the two goals. Uh, the one from the brilliant Griezmann free kick where he did the little stutter and forced Uruguay's line out of shape and then Varane, Varane executed perfectly. Like even, even if you get that ball on Varane's head a hundred times, not that many of those go in, I don't think, but he did beautifully. And then the second goal, just, just one of the most painful moments of the tournament, watching Muslera. You could see what he's trying to do. He's trying to swipe the ball out and get some distance on it, but he anticipates movement that never comes, and he just swipes <laughs> he the ball into dive his goal. Yeah, it was just awful. And and uh, not to get all, you know, tabloid punditry about this, just catch him. Jeez, it's going straight at you, man. You're a professional. <laughs> just catch it. But presumably something in his brain didn't process the trajectory of the ball properly and didn't he didn't know that he could catch it or he thought that he could very safely get a lot of distance on a on a good solid good solid clearance huh hmm no, bad. It's very bad. I mean, it was very, it's a bad, yeah, just a bad game overall and I mean Uruguay um tried to be defensively solid, tried to spoil as I guess everyone assumed they would do. France coming uh, off the back of that whenever Argentina actually finally having come to life in the tournament um, couldn't quite 
sort of take that head on. You know, I think um, struggled really to create an awful lot in that game. Very low XG on both sides. Um, not the highest quality of game, but you know, once France had scored from the from the set piece, like Uruguay had nothing, nothing at all, and obviously a massive blow that Cavani was out. Because um, Stuani is no Cavani, is he? Um, he's not even a striker. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. Let, let alone a good one. Um, so they just had nothing and uh, and France were pretty comfortable in the end. Can we talk about France's best player in that game? Let's talk Let's talk about how he was best, game, best player in the previous game as well. Yeah. Mm, I think Kylian Mbappe was probably the best player yeah. in the game against um, Whatever, Mbappe would be nothing without Pogba, <laughs> you know, launching those balls over the top. I mean, he's Pogba... I just, just Pogba, man. Just he's having, he's having a heck of a World Cup. Someone said, uh, I think was it Miguel Delaney who's tweeted like people that have had a bad World Cup: Neymar, Brazil, Germany, and Wimbledon. Because uh, like obviously, who cares about Wimbledon when this is happening? But I think Jose Mourinho has had a pretty rotten World Cup too, given that Paul Pogba's been so so good in this game in in the, the knockout stages. He's just... Well, if Mourinho wants to get rid, then uh, I suppose the price will be nice and high. <laughs> Um, not, not that there's an awful lot of time after this World Cup inches to to complete the uh, the transfer window. <laughs> there was a story went round this week that Premier League clubs are regressing their decision to uh, alter their Premier League transfer window, especially <laughs> since now the rest of the Europe was like, nah, we're not doing that." Especially not this year. This is not the time to do it. But you know, it'll be, it'll be good for it'll be good for us as as people that are going to kind of talk about what's going to happen in the season ahead. But anyway, it was, just, it was a really fine performance from Paul Pogba and. Um, he's so crucial to this France team and, and you know, okay. So they weren't, they weren't absolutely brilliant against Uruguay by any stretch of the imagination, but I think for a team to have to be absolutely brilliant against that Uruguay, I don't even know if it's, I literally don't know if it's technically possible. I don't know what Barcelona 2011 wouldn't have looked that good. I mean, they would have won, but they wouldn't have looked good doing it. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I mean, uh, Barcelona, 2011 would have played in front of them an awful lot, but um, probably found the space to to break through. Look, they've got some good players. Uh, you know, Godin and Jimenez are two of the finest defenders on the planet. Yeah. Um, Torreira looks like a nice player. Far too good for Arsenal, uh, which is the rumour that's going around. Bentancur, um, Bentancur, Bentancur, I think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, didn't have the best game against France, but he's had a very, very good tournament. Um, and you know, and obviously Suarez and Cavani, when he was fit uh, up front, you know, give him some penetration from, um, you know, single chances if that's what they're going to create. So you know, you can see why they've done all right in this this tournament. And uh, they look the best of the South American teams. And we'll come on to Brazil and and uh, Belgium. Brazil just didn't look much in any of their games. I see. You know, it, maybe I... maybe against the Mexicans, they were very comfortable. The rest of them, uh, not a lot there. They created so many chances. Belgium was so lucky to get through that game, or at least to get through that game without pens. Like, the amount of chances that Brazil created towards the end of that game, the one that Coutinho side... Let's just move on to that game because there's nothing more interesting to say about the France-Uruguay game. So the one that Coutinho side foots, like, absolutely skies. Um, Neymar's one which Courtois saved, which kind of just ended up drifting a little bit too close to Courtois, but very nearly would have been top bins and unsavable. I, I just think Belgium were quite... I mean, Courtois did well, and I think that 
Belgium were quite lucky to survive the late Brazilian onslaught, especially since Belgium themselves looked like their legs had completely gone and their heads had gone. In the first half, though, let's talk about that Belgian front three because Belgium in the first half of that game is one of the, my, my favourite moments of the tournament so far, just from a pure football appreciation point of view. Yeah, I mean, Belgium came out brilliantly. They had, you know, they uh, they hit Brazil on the break. Um, they lined up in a way that people weren't expecting. You know, Lukaku sort of playing off the right. I mean, he lost flexibility there. De Bruyne as this kind of false nine. I don't think anyone really expected that. Uh, Roberto Martinez, tactical genius. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and of course... Big Marouane Fellaini, fresh from his confidence-boosting new contract extension, <laughs> bossing the centre of midfield. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Fellaini and Chadley, who who turned the game against uh, Japan. Yeah. Belgium are very fortunate to get out of that one. Very, very fortunate. Um, and, uh, you know, they were rewarded with their... With their um, start against uh, Brazil, you know. And, and look, I take your point that Brazil made a had a lot of shots i think like something like uh 12 or 14 of their shots were after the 70th minute you know so it was a lot anyway um and you know they created a lot at the end and and courtois made a lot of fine saves but it's you know it's the reason belgium got those two goals and were able to you know hold the game out um was because they you know they outthought the brazilians and i just like go through brazil's campaign and there haven't been too many brilliant moments. So this is a team that, uh, you know, won 25 games in a row or something like that, you know. Um, and before, uh, I think they lost one and won 24 of their last 25 games for the Switzerland game. Uh, they were very, very fortunate to get that very late win against Costa Rica. Um, Costa Rica just running out of steam. Um, uh, you know, against Mexico in around 16, they were definitely the better side because Mexico always lose to Brazil. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it wasn't quite the Brazilian performance. You know, and, and I just, I, I, it's it's not just having to go at Neymar for the sake of having to go at Neymar. He, he's, he's, not, he's just not playing for the team. It's for him, isn't it? You know, and um, he can be brilliant and he can be ridiculous. Um, but uh, it's definitely all about him. And uh, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that does the rest of his team in what is set up to be a functional Brazil team, right? You know, lots of talented players, but a functional one. Um, he's. I'm not sure he helps it. But you know, they did win those 25 games in a row before the World Cup. He's he's had such a stinking World Cup, Neymar. Even though, so I, I've always liked Neymar. I've, I've never been a particular Neymar hater, really. But I've hated him in this tournament so much. So one of my main reasons for kind of having this great deal of of kind of sim- not sympathy towards Neymar, but like a, a, a positive mindset about him generally is he's responsible for one of the most amazing 10 minutes of football I've ever seen. When Barcelona won that 6-1 to come back from the 4-0, the last 10 minutes Neymar took over that game wrenched it by the scruff of the neck and executed on everything to absolute perfection. He scored the free kick. He scored the penalty. He put the ball through for the winner all in the space of 10 minutes, all with this kind of great level of assured, like uh, certainty and assuredness. But this world cup, he's just been 
a total joke. I mean, he scored, he's assisted. There was that one where he he did, I don't even think he got the final assist, but he put the corner in for a goal and half the team ran over to celebrate with Neymar, which is weird in itself. He's just been dribbling at every opportunity and, and the antics are, well, they just, they just don't have any place in professional sport. What are you doing? Get up! Get up! This is, like, this is ridiculous. I feel like a proper old Yada here. But, like, <laughs> I, I... Yeah, and were, were you like that when uh, Henderson went down holding his face? I mean, a little bit, but he didn't do it for very long. Neymar just does too much of it and for too long. But the other thing I would want to say about Brazil is how did Gabriel Jesus keep his starting spot throughout this World Cup when they had Roberto Firmino on the bench? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not picked on form, that one. Um, uh, yeah, I think they, they got many, many things wrong. They, they're probably going to have to go and have a good hard look at themselves, you know. And it'll be painful because it's, uh, it's now an awful long time since um, they won a World Cup. And you know, get to the next one, it'll be 24 years, so... 24 years of hurt. Um, that <laughs> last South American team to win a World Cup too, lots of people have been talking about that. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, um, it has been Europe's World Cup, although, uh, you know, good old English Brexiters, three European teams in the uh, semi-final, and England. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Very upsetting. Very upsetting, isn't it? Um, Romelu Lukaku... Man United's number nine, Romelu Lukaku. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I did say I would struggle at the beginning of this podcast. I know this is mostly just me saying words and then degenerating into sort of a shocked chuckle. Romelu Lukaku's run for De Bruyne's very good goal. Another one of the moments of the tournament for me. Just He just looked absolutely unstoppable. He is going to score 100 goals for Man United next season. Uh, I th- think he probably won't, but you know, <laughs> no, but he's going to have. <laughs> he a he good may score. He, he's going to have a good season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, of course, he'll play a very different role in at United. He'll uh, go back to being, uh, you know, United's sort of number nine and and massively isolated <laughs> all of the time. So he'll he'll enjoy that too. I mean, it was it was interesting to see the sort of all round game, wasn't it, against Brazil? Because he spent so much time out on the right. Um, or cutting in from the right, that it, it wasn't exactly the performance we we see from him at United. And there's, there'd be many moments in this this World Cup when um, I you you might say his play was somewhat intelligent. You know, <laughs> beautiful dummy in the previous game um, to help uh, Belgium score the winner against Japan, and, and loads of great interplay in in this game. You know, complete performance from him. The um, the Romelu Bukaku situation has been well established on this podcast we are we have always been full of praise for Lukaku's work um outside of the box his work as a provider and as part of the link and when you can hang with De Bruyne and Hazard in the link because both of them were electric in the first half of that game I mean that was that was Belgium's they're four really, really good players having brilliant games in Courtois and the front three and some of their supporting cast doing very well, including Marouane Fellaini. But we know Marouane Fellaini has got the odd big performance in him. This is not news. Marouane Fellaini's limitations are about consistency and all this other stuff. Uh, worth saying as well, shocking defending for Brazil's goal to give hope 
for you know both both of my two nations if we end up playing i mean one of them definitely are but you know if if the mighty england end up playing uh belgium in the final just show videos of that Renato Augusto goal all, all over again Jesse yep. Lingard putting that ball in for Harry Maguire who's been used as a makeshift centre forward <laughs> that's right uh, actually Croatia the Croatia manager this week was talking about um, or today talking about uh, England's um, uh, propensity to score from uh, set plays eight in this tournament something like that um, and and Croatia conceded a goal from uh, set play two um, so yeah, plen- plenty for mighty England to exploit in the games to come. Do you think Belgium's performance against Brazil is one of the most impressive in the tournament so far? Yeah, because it's it's Brazil and and they have this great record and and great players all over the pitch. Uh, and yeah, for the first half, um, for sixty minutes, incredibly impressive. Um, and then you know they they began to retreat. I think as you would. Being, being two up against Brazil in the quarterfinal of the World Cup. Um, but deeply impressive, yeah. Roberto Martinez, tactical genius. I mean, I, I mentioned it last week. Um, he's, you know, uh, among the favourites uh, to become the next Spain manager. And Spain have got some uh, real thinking to do. It's almost as if maybe he was a good manager all along and uh, Everton were a bit quick to fire him. Hmm, think, I think he's got something. Well, the, first of all, there is, the, of course, the chance for people to learn and improve, but I do, I do think Everton made a fairly reasonable decision under the circumstances. I mean, because they played this weird system where they went, um, if you look at um, who scored, it, it's got it as a 4-3-3, a three, three, but it really wasn't a 4-3. It was like a 3-2-3-3 three, three, three or something. I might have got my maths wrong, but they, they switched formation with the ball and without, didn't they? Because they were definitely going to a pulling Vertonghen company and Alderweireld into the centre with Chadley playing at left wing back um, when they didn't have possession. Yeah. No, that's fair. Well, Hazard isn't going to do that defending. Um, uh, and and yeah, look smart with the ball, smart without it. But, yeah, they're not... Um, not uh, perfect as a team, Belgium. You know, for, for sure, France will uh, be looking at their weaknesses. They'll have uh, a lot of the ball, I guess. You know, let's but... let's save this for ten minutes' time when we do a preview. And sure. Get... Well, we've got another game. Yeah. Uh, Russia two, Croatia two. So after the uh, the uh, euphoria of England winning, um, uh, not quite. <laughs> not, unless you're Russian, I suppose, or Croatian. Um, uh, you know, this is it not an awesome quality game thoroughly uh, entertaining but, but thoroughly entertaining yeah you know and it sort of went back and forth didn't it and um uh, for uh you know the two i, I guess once croatia because they were getting more and more into the game and you know getting a scruffer uh you know hold of the game and uh, it felt like they they were the dominant team and they scored in extra time and it you know they were still a dominant team and somehow um you know uh, Fine delivery from Alan Zhigoyev and and uh, the very Russian Mario Fernandez nodded it in, you know, and it didn't look like it was going to happen for Russia, but it did. Um, and I have to say, I was cheering them on at that point, you know. I kind of managed to forget uh, all the sort of you know uh, stuff, annexation of Crimea and the human rights record and the extrajudicial killings and uh, the war in Syria and all of that for one moment, and was cheering on the uh, 
cheering on the team, partly because, you know, they're not that great a team and it would give England a far better chance in the semi-final. Uh, Cherishev's goal in the first half. My goodness gracious wow. me, one of the goals what of the tournament. What a banger that was. I mean, people have loads, everyone has said this, but Cherishev could have his own little, which one of the three out of the four of his goals is the best goal of the tournament. Um, but yeah, this one this one was stunning. And, and they needed it bad as well because, I, you know, once Croatia scored relatively early in this game... I definitely thought this could get. Um, oh no! They, no, no, no! I've got myself all muddled. Cherishev scored first, didn't he? And gave gave Russia all that hope, and then it lasted for all of nine minutes or whatever um, before before Kramaric scored for Croatia. Um, I thought Modric was very, 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 very good in this game. Well, he's, he's been very good for the tournament, hasn't he? Yeah, I missed the game against Iceland, but uh, he's. Uh, Stop Modric and you stop an awful lot of stuff that um, Croatia does. He's the one that um, moves with the ball. Yeah, still he's he's uh, he's you know he's getting on a little bit now, isn't he? And he still moves so quickly with the ball and so smartly uh, breaks in between the lines, uh, creates, scores the odd goal. Um, uh, yeah, got the assist for for Croatia's second. Um, and excellent, excellent again. And uh, you know, I guess it's Henderson that England will put on him. And it's going to be a super tough job. Yep, and we'll definitely do proper previews of that in a minute. <laughs> this is just a running theme where we... Because we, I don't know about you, Ed, but I'm champing at the bit to talk about the semi-finals and really trying to restrain myself and concentrate on these games. But I don't really know what else to say about this one, except that in the end, the right team definitely won, didn't they? I mean, you know... Yeah, yeah, if only for that awful first penalty in the shootout. <laughs> The XG very close, just 0.9, 1.1, so really, really similar. Um, but yeah, my goodness, that was that was not a good penalty. Um, was was it was that the one that was dragged wide of the post? Wide of the no, no, that was that was the second miss. The first yeah. one was where it, it sort of he, he did a kind of limp perenka. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah. why he was trying, but it was awful. Yeah. Right. He was trying a thing that didn't work, and then the the one that that got pulled pulled wide as well. I was just we've seen. I kind of we've almost got used to like really high quality penalty shootouts now. That just loads and loads of goals get scored in penalty shootouts. So when you see sort of three penalties missed in a penalty shootout, it's like, oh, have you guys not been watching Zambia versus Ivory Coast twenty twelve to brush up on how it's meant to be done? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, we haven't seen a fourteen, twelve, or something like that, have we? Um, all right, so that's the quarterfinals. We can get on to talk about the semifinals. But you know what? We've got first, Paul. Okay, you know what's, what? that? what's that? We've got some questions. Okay, wow. Okay, right. Oh, some of these are going to be about like United and stuff, and we're going to have to think about some accepting the fact that the World Cup's about to end and the stupid Premier League stupid season's going to stupid start. Uh, let's segue into this by uh, Atlas Force Number Nine. Uh, force, I want to say force number nine, force number 12, um, Tarek Amir, friend of the show, uh, asks, where does Smolov's pathetic Perenka rank in your all-time rubbish penalty misses? Does it beat the Zaza shuffle? No, the no. Zaza shuffle is still better because yeah. it just looks ridiculous. The Zaza shuffle is the best penalty miss of all time. I mean, Zaza has scored plenty of goals doing the Zaza shuffle, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because... No amount of goals scored with that technique can make up for the one miss that you make with that technique. <laughs> That's right. Um, how Paul feel about a France-England final, asked Joey M underscore UX. It's Joey Mangini, friend of the show. I mean, absolutely overwhelmingly delighted because, you know, 
I, I, there's no doubt about it. If it was in any doubt, this World Cup has proved it to me. There's no doubt that I would be supporting England in that, but I would certainly not be like sad or anything if France won the World Cup. But in the end, th- particularly this England team, there's there's no uh-huh. way I could root against them. Norman Tebbit would approve. <laughs> One reference for the kids there. Reference <laughs> racist Tory reference for the kids. There's loads of contemporary racist Tory references you could make if you wanted. Yeah, yeah, I see Farage is trying to get on the England bandwagon and <laughs> oh Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. Dump this... him in Russia and leave him there. Yeah, exactly. He'd be happier. Um so uh Oh come on, you secretly want Lukaku's Belgium to win it, don't you ask? Uh special K underscore two three one one. I mean I would be Absolutely delighted for Romelu Lukaku. The only team I would not be emotionally invested in seeing win this tournament is Croatia. Um, and even then, I quite like Luka Modric. But, um, the yeah, I love Romelu Lukaku. And if he wins the World Cup, I'm not going to be sad, even if it's beating the team from the country that I'm from or my mum's from. Uh, there's going to be some interesting dynamics in the uh, dressing room either way. <laughs> France, uh, England and Belgium. I mean, I don't want to talk about United, but my goodness, we've got a lot of semi-finalists, haven't we? Yeah, it'd be interesting. They're, they're due back at uh, pre-season training soon, aren't they? Um, uh, Luke Shaw uh, has been posting pictures of his, his training regime. He's been back at pre-season training for some while. He's looking fit. Yeah, those are some serious abs that Luke Shaw is rocking. Uh, let's uh, let's hope he gets a game or two. Um, Ashley Young's had a fine World Cup, though. Oh, um, a really, really fine World Cup, and worthy of specific praise for his performance in the Sweden game that I meant to meant to mention. The other thing I wanted to mention is like Russia for all their um, uh, what what are we going to say? Excellent approach to nutrition and fitness, whatever whatever is giving them the the serious fitness edge they've had over their competition. Whatever about that stuff, they've also performed really admirably. The, the, you know, the players have done a, a marvelous job, and I'm sure for you know the, the World Cup is richer for having had the host nation get to the quarterfinals. And I'm glad they went out when they did, in terms of their excellent approach to nutrition. Um, but it was it was fun to see the host nation get to root for their team for a while, especially given how low expectations were going into the tournament. Yeah, quite. Um, Simon Vaughan, uh, Vaughan 82 asks, should United consider Simon Maguire? We've answered that one. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, I think. Uh, various people uh, say, is it coming home or <laughs> it's coming home uh, and uh, so on and uh, so forth. And Alan... Alex Dixon, ABCM, SAJ, friend of the show, yeah. um, asks, how many people asking, is it coming home? <laughs> All right, so Ed. Good, good take on that, quite a lot. Are England going to win a World Cup? Ah, no. I mean, France and Belgium are both better sides. Croatia maybe too, um, although they have more weaknesses. But so, you never know. Uh, it is much, first of all, as I said earlier, it's already come home. That, that, so, yes, the answer is yes, it's coming home because England are minimum going to be in a third place playoff of this. Like, if you had told me before the tournament that England were going to be in a semi final against Croatia, I'd have been like, yep, that means it's coming home, whatever happens between now and the end of the tournament. It is, it, it is home, it's already home. Doug Cannon underscore seven says, Who's been the breakout player of the tournament for you? 
Uh, Harry Maguire, I guess. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking that. I mean, have we had a real outstanding star? Uh, I mean, look, um, Global Scouting Network's uh, developed, so developed now that there's no one uh, looking at the World Cup trying to find a new player. No. In the days of, you know, a a, a star can emerge from the the World Cup. You're never going to know anything new about him. Um, has, I mean, um, Harry Maguire's been excellent. Hervin Lozano for Mexico. Yep. Um, Cherishev. Really, really excellent. Cherishev. I mean, obviously, Cherishev came through at Real Madrid, but, you know. Golovkin for Russia has also been very good. Uh, Golovin. Uh, Golovin, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Inui for Japan. I mean, a well known player, but I think uh, not someone you'd necessarily have thought was going to be one of the stars of the World Cup. Um, uh, everyone else, I think. Think, oh, Jordan Pickford as well, I guess. If you'd said Jordan Pickford might be the outstanding goalkeeper of the World Cup, I think I don't think people would have expected that by any means. No, true. All right, um, that's it for questions. So uh, we've got some semi-finals to look forward to. Okay, let's start with the other one then. <laughs> France, Belgium, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be, uh, you know, it should be good. Um, Belgium are not going to sit back. They're going to attack. They've got uh, plenty of uh, players who can do- cause damage to France, plenty. I mean, the, the French back line has been pretty good. I mean, obviously conceded quite a few against Argentina, of all teams. Um, and uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup in midfield, isn't it? Isn't it, uh, isn't it weird saying conceded a few against Argentina, of all teams, when the Argentina goals were scored by, well, Di Maria, Aguero, two assists for Messi. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of all te- oh, I can't believe you conceded goals against Aguero and Messi linking up. <laughs> I know. Doesn't tell the whole story, that one, does it? Like, um, so, yeah, I mean, like, midfield is going to be the key. So, you know, we've got France, who will play um, Pogba and Conte. And, uh, you know, is Matuidi going to be fit again? Cause, I mean, playing down the left, sort of giving them some security there, which obviously uh, Deschamps likes, doesn't quite trust to play three actual attacking players. Tolisso played against um, Uruguay, and he's he's a sort of, you know, more of an eight than a six, isn't he? Yeah. A um, bit more attack-minded than Matuidi. And uh, left-footed, so, you know, gave some balance there. But but isn't having a very good World Cup? No. So uh, I mean, and you know, I don't know if he had a particularly good season for Bayern either, uh, to be honest. And then and then midfield for um, for Belgium will be interesting because you know will they play the same system? Does Lukaku go back up front? Was this a specialist system just against Brazil? I kind of suspect it was. And Lukaku may go back up front. Will they retain Fellaini? And Witzel in the centre of midfield, you know, there's uh, given that France may command more of the ball. Um, lots, lots of interesting decisions. Probably more decisions to make from Martinez than for uh, Deschamps. Well, Deschamps gets tired if he has to make decisions. It's just like, oh, we just put Giroud up front and then the rest take care of itself. Um, the the thing about Belgium's midfield is you would, if this was twelve months ago, you'd say play Muslim Dembele come hell or high water. Right. He didn't have a brilliant season, did he? Especially the second half of the season. And he's not been a regular for Belgium ever, really, in the way that you would expect a player of his... Like, he he was an absolute star in the Premier League for seasons on end. Um, but Pogba and Kante against Fellaini and Witzel, 
Oh, fancy. Yeah, it, oh, fancy it, Francis' it, chances fancy there. Fancy, yeah. I mean, they might bring Mertens back in. Yeah. Uh, and move De Bruyne uh, a bit deeper, you know, give him more quality in the, the centre midfield, which they may need. But uh, Dendonka is a very high quality player, but has not featured much in this tournament. I wouldn't expect him to start. Heavily linked with United um, this week or last week. Um, and you wouldn't complain about that. Um, but yeah, the. The thing about bringing in Mertens and, and putting De Bruyne further back is by far Belgium's best attacking performance was with the front three being the front three. And when you've got a front three that can be that front three, make your front three be that front three, you know? I mean, um, France's centre-backs are... I mean, Umtiti made that weird mistake earlier in the tournament with the handball, didn't he? But Varane's been... like Maybe I would have Varane and Maguire... As, well, I don't know, you've got to have a Uruguayan in there, haven't you, somehow? But anyway, you know, the, the, Varane's definitely been one of the star centre-backs of of the World Cup and is just a brilliant centre-back. So you, you want to provide them with different things to have to think about. And especially given you've got N'Golo Kante, so he's gonna he's very good at, at kind of minimising the impact that attacking midfielders have on games. But even he's going to struggle to deal with both De Bruyne and Hazard running at him. Yeah, I, I think the the French um, defence will be under more pressure than they've been in any game so far this tournament. Um, uh, and, you know, as long as uh, Belgium can get enough of ball in central midfield. I, I do wonder whether they do really need Vitzel and Fellaini in there for this one. Um, uh, although, you know, Fellaini played himself into the, the team with that... That, that cameo and then that starting performance no, uh, against Japan and then starting performance against Brazil in which he was very good. The thing is, when you say they don't need for like, what what is it about France that is less, like offers less attacking threat or less danger than Brazil? I mean, play yeah, a- but they don't, they don't chuck five or six players forward all at the same time. No, I guess not. I guess you're right there. I guess that's very true. In fact, they specifically chuck four play- players forward at the same time, don't they? Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm, uh, you know, what's this one? This one's Tuesday night, right? And England uh, is Wednesday night. So we will already know our uh, final opponent when it comes to it comes around to playing uh, Croatia. Is are that you, jinxing it? Are you, um, I mean, what are you expecting to happen in this game? Do you have a, a sense of what, I mean, this World Cup's been, I, I guess we should say at this point we're previewing the semifinals with one of the four semifinals that both of us picked before the start of the tournament being yeah, involved yeah yeah that's right so clearly we know nothing um although, although uh, i'm not sure too many of the uh so-called ai prediction models that all came out uh, before the world cup they were picking germany to win <laughs> all that kind of stuff uh, we're right either so um uh i i i probably expect france's quality just to play you know especially in midfield just to to play the you know, be enough in the end uh, but but Belgium got plenty of quality in there. I mean, it's just um, you know I, I think before the tournament, uh, looking at Belgium and thinking, yeah, you know, great first eleven. Not sure beyond that. Uh, and it's the same now, isn't it? You know, have they got as many players that can change a game? Well, I mean, it's funny because you know I'm not too many people more mar- more critical of Marouane Fellaini than you and I. But if you are going to give him one description, player that can change a game, right, really is an accurate description of Marouane Fellaini. I mean, 
for both better and worse sometimes, but you know, he could definitely have a hugely positive impact on games. He could, I, I'd imagine Varane and, and, and Titi might deal with the uh, aerial ball a bit better than Japan did. <laughs> yeah, possibly so. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, obviously I hope France win. Uh, the four, three was an amazing moment. Um, and the Uruguay win, it was like, it was a bit like England's win over Colombia. Really. It just felt like, Good. Glad we've dealt with these people who are behaving badly in this fashion. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's nerve-wracking. And, I, I mean, I, I think France will win, and I think France will then go on to win the tournament. But, you know, we saw in, in the Euros that France have got a, a, a kind of failure in them, and, and you would... This Belgian side have an extraordinary kind of self-belief and beating Brazil in a quarter-final would have been enormous for that self-belief. You said last week Romelu Lukaku has been circling the huddle. He's continued to circle the huddle. Um, he's he's clearly a massive leader in that team and it's a team with, which mm. does seem to have conquered its natural tendency to infighting and mm. become a well, proper Well, I mean, unit. I think credit for, goes to Martinez there. You know, I... I um, you know, I praised him earlier, but often he's been seen as just the Spanish Kevin Keegan. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he's a bit more than that, um, you know, because I, I think his uh, his tactical switch against Brazil paid off, didn't it? Paid off big time. So he's he obviously thinks about the football a little more than Keegan might have done. Um, but he's also he's also managed to engender a great team spirit in in uh, in this Belgian team as well. You know, maybe maybe they won't waste their golden generation. Well, they already haven't in a way. I feel a bit like that about the same about England in a way that, you know, getting to the World Cup semi-final is a massive achievement. I mean, it, it just happens so rarely. I mean, we haven't got to one since 90. Belgium haven't got to one since 86. Um, so even getting this far is is way beyond the level, Belgium stand, Belgium's standard level. Um the uh, What's Thierry going to do? It's going to be a tough, tough day for Thierry. Oosh. Oh yeah, no, certainly, um, uh, fun, fun day for him as well. Yeah, absolutely, win-win. So, so in the end, I, I expect France just to edge this one, if, if only because look, they've got um, a lot of players that can come off that bench, um, and uh, you know, Fakir, Lamar. Um, uh, I mean, we'll see who starts, but uh, plenty of players who can come off that bench and uh, and change it if France really need it. Well, uh, we'll see, I and mean, we'll see how they perform if under pressure for the first time in the tournament. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but who's going to start is going to be Lloris, Hernandez, Varane, Umtiti, uh, Pavard, Pogba, Kante, Mbappe, Giroud, Griezmann, and either Talisa or Matuidi, depending on if Matuidi's fit. I can't imagine there's going to be a surprise anywhere in there. No, no, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, and then, yeah, then you have got players to change the game off the bench. But to change the game off a bench, you need a manager who's prepared to gamble and take risks to change the game off the bench. And I mean, he's brought Fakir on a few times late in games, but he's he hasn't really been turning to Dembele to add anything or, you know, so I don't know. No, that's right. I mean, if Martinez was in charge of this team, Mbappe, Griezmann and Dembele would all start. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps Fakir too, you know, with Mbappe <laughs> up front. Um, or maybe he'd find a room for another one. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, you know, he's... Um, it'll be like... I mean, Deschamps signed a new contract recently. He's not without criticism uh, for the style of play, for sure, and, and back in France. But if they go on and win this tournament, he'll he'll be staying there forever. Well, you, you can look forward to his 
you know, prosaic style of football for decades to come. But a bit like Mourinho, the, my main objection, someone has definitely said this before, but my main objection to Deschamps' style of play is not just, oh man, I love beautiful football and I want to see it, although I do and I do, is that surely the best way to get the group, or the best out of the current crop of French players is to flipping go for it because when you've got weapons like that, use them. All right. Um, England, Croatia. Oh, God. What's going to happen in this one? I mean, in- England now playing a... I mean, I suppose played Belgium before, but so many changes on either side. I don't know how much of a marker that puts down. England were none. pretty... Literally none. That game did not count. Did not count. Pretty limp in defeat, but then they didn't really try for the last 10 minutes. So uh, it tells you what they were looking for, I suppose. Um, so they've got it. Very good, they, they're going to play a very good team now. They, well, yeah, exactly. They've got what they wanted. Yeah. Okay. You just said they're going to... That's the second time in this podcast you've called Croatia a very good team. Do you really think that Croatia are a very good team? Or is that just... I- the kind of so I think they're I think they're very good through midfield. Modric, yeah. Rakitic, um, Brozovic, you know, defends uh, plays a more defensive role. I think they've got some firepower up front. Um, Mandzukic had a decent tournament. Um, uh, Perisic, if he starts, he might not. Um, bit bit of a one dimensional player, but you know, certainly dangerous. Uh, Rebic, not has he scored a goal this tournament? Yes, yeah, didn't he score? It, in the Russia game, didn't he score the second in the Russia game? Did he? Did he? I don't yeah. know. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, Kovacic, um, an excellent player, had a tough time at Real Madrid. You know, some great players. The, the weakness is, I mean, um, Subasic, not a great keeper. Also, is he injured? I mean, maybe it was just cramp, ass cramp. Um, odd place to get ass cramp, but, um, but uh, there you go. Um, and then Lovren and Chorluka, if, if they're the starters. Hmm. You can definitely get at them. So they are a very good team in possession of the ball. I, I'm I'm sure England are going to be looking at them both from uh, the fact that they conceded a, a, a goal from a set piece against Russia, um, and, and we'll be looking at their weaknesses in defence too, at least on paper. Arabic didn't Vida scored, didn't they? Against it was right. They had a um, oh, but worst hacker ever. <laughs> worst. Almost as bad as Pavard's. Pavard's is fine. There's not literally nothing wrong with Pavard's haircut. Uh, he scored against Argentina, Rebic, did they? That's, that's yeah. why he scored. Right. Um, I mean, we we talked last time about Croatia because we were the, the, their penalties were going on as we as we recorded the podcast last time and we kind of called them bottlers. Very uh, very Englandy history in terms of underperforming with the kind of golden generation of players, but. Um, They've they've definitely benefited from being in this half of the draw too. I mean, they've benefited from two things. First of all, um, Argentina were absolutely dreadful in the group stages of the tournament, um, and Croatia battered them without having to be brilliant. Although they were, you know, Modric that that Modric was absolutely stunning in that game, wasn't he? Um, but but you know they beat Denmark on penalties and Russia on penalties. Yeah, and that that that's. Though that is two extremely underwhelming results, and and it's not like either of those games the results. Oh well, they just knocked on the door for ages and got really unlucky, or you know, worldy performances from keepers or whatever. They have not been brilliant in this tournament. Now England have not been brilliant either by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm not kind of saying, oh, I'm going to batter them, three lions, ten German bombers, um, but. 
I mean, this is completely trivially obvious thing to say. Out of any team you could have possibly imagined England playing in the semi-final of the World Cup, you would have absolutely bitten their hand off if if somebody had offered you Croatia in the semi-final, right? Uh, sure, yes. Of all the teams that United, uh, United uh, England could have got, yeah, um, absolutely, you would have uh, you'd have picked uh, Colombia, Sweden, and uh, Croatia as your route through to the final. Absolutely. Um, uh, we're not going to talk about that though. You know, when England won, win, are we? Uh, only beat what's in front of you and all that. Yeah. Um, so look, um, for sure, uh, it's an easier it's an easier option than Belgium or France or Brazil or uh, Germany should have been, um, uh, or probably some other teams beyond that as well. Uh, but they've definitely got the players who can keep the ball away from England. Yeah. Um, if they're disciplined, they won't give away too many free kicks they know that they you know surely seen how many goals England have scored from set pieces yeah um and you know that's their job retain possession and um you know use use the quality in midfield to create chances uh, and don't be silly at the back yeah and then it should be it should be a Croatia win on paper sort of thing if they if they play that way if they can if they can get them their midfield three kind of firing on all, all cylinders so, so how do Southgate and England handle this challenge? Would you, would you go to a double pivot with Henderson and Dyer and kind of push Henderson a bit further forward and allow Dyer just to sit and soak up space against Modric? I don't, I don't think he'll change. I don't think he'll change the balance of the team. I mean, certainly going not going to move away from a three-five-two. By the way, uh, your man Allardyce uh, was advocating England go back to a four-four-two for the. Uh, <laughs> For the game against Sweden. I didn't know good things like this were possible when I was advocating for Sam Allardyce. I thought Sam Allardyce was the best we could possibly have hoped for, but it turns out I was wrong. You've given up on life, I think. (laughs) I mean, in terms of the England football team, I probably had given up. I thought that Allardyce could kind of well-organisedly fluke them to a a quarter-final. Yeah, so, uh, no, I'm not sure that he'll change the team. I mean... I mean, Obviously, Ali would be the one at risk in that central midfield. He's not had a great tournament by any means. Um, would he change the the balance and go to to Dyer? Um, you know, that's an that's awful lot of pressure on Henderson then to become a creative spark in that midfield. I mean, Ali's supposed to be that one, right? I mean, uh, Sterling's coming deeper and deeper um, throughout the tournament. I'm sure he'll go with Kane and Sterling up front. Uh, it's probably the right decision. Yeah. Um, you know, Sterling's going to play through the lines in a way that Rashford wouldn't. Um, d- does he drop Ali? I, I can't actually see it. Um, you know, it's really interesting. It's really, sorry, carry on. No, no, just, you know, and actually the natural change would be for Ruben Loftus-Cheek and that's a hell of a game to bring him in for. Yeah, although a player of his kind of quality on the ball might be really, and I mean with the ball at his feet, like running with the ball as much as anything else, that'd be quite useful. You mentioned that Ali's in the team to be the kind of creative spark in a way, but Southgate was saying, we've been saying to Delhi, you're a goal scorer, get on the end of chances kind of thing when he was talking about the the goal. So, so in a way it seems like Ali's in the team for third man runs as much as anything else. Um, and it, I mean, I don't know how much of a creator Ali really is. He's an amazing goal scorer and a, a fantastic player to have in in a team. But he's not like he. This is I'm, I'm using your line here. He's not like a traditional number ten, is he? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, no, definitely not. He's definitely not. I mean, England don't have that kind of player. No, absolutely not. Um, so, so you would you would keep this because keeping that same shape with the midfield three of the one kind of holding and the two, I don't know, two very much attacking midfielders in Lingard and Ali. That is an awful lot for them to deal with with Modric, Brozovic, and Rakitic in the centre of Croatia's midfield. Sure, but I mean they're not going to go to a diamond, um, so it is going to be three versus three in there. Yeah, um, and uh, and there's going to be an awful lot on Henderson's shoulders to to track those Modric runs, you know, and and he's not going to Modric isn't going to start in a traditional number ten role either. He's definitely, I mean, he will be the the sort of uh, the key man in there, but he starts from a deeper position. Um, he, he's outstanding at finding space on the pitch, you know, just where, wherever it is. Yeah. Um, so he won't be, sta- he won't be static waiting for Henderson to come and block him off. Um, so it's, you know, it's a super tough job uh, for Henderson to do that. Um, he's a bit more mobile than Dyer, I guess. Um, not, uh, not as good a passing range probably, but um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that he'll, uh, I'm sure that he'll start. I'd be really surprised if Dyer comes in. Um, it's going to be a hell of a matchup. Um, and we'll see how good Henderson is, if he's as good as Liverpool fans think he is or uh, <laughs> as bad as everyone else thinks he is. When you say everyone else, you mean United fans, right? That's Right, right that's the one else. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else count? Um, the uh, Henderson's having a real good tournament, by the way. This will, this will be a very different kind of test for him, though. Uh, and probably he's having that good a tournament. Really? He's he's no Jesse Lingard, is he? <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> That's the, that's the one moment real club bias has like properly infected this show, um, as well it should. Um, I, you talked me out of it. I was quite optimistic watching watching Croatia really, really labour their way to a penalty shootout victory over an extremely limited Russia side who are nowhere near as good as England. So you've kind of talked me out of that by by explaining exactly how they're going to detonate England. But what I'm hoping is Modric's teammates will once again kind of underwhelm because, you know, they're not all that up front. Mandzukic is a fine player, but the rest of them, not. you know, you'd imagine that England sort of magical back three or Harry Maguire plus two um, would be able to deal I with that's a fine tournament by the way yeah, yeah, Carl Walker's agree. sort of grown into it it's not necessarily his natural uh, position, <laughs> not necessarily. that is very very kind by the way not necessarily yeah. his natural role um, uh, Trivia's had a great tournament by Super. the way I remember when when, uh, when um, Walker went to uh, Manchester City. I remember us talking about Trippier because uh, you know it was obvious then that he was a you know his delivery of the ball was excellent, um, and I think many Spurs fans were not crying too much. And Walker left, and Trippier was uh, going to be given a chance. Yeah, um, but he's had a, a really good, a really good tournament. The one thing I don't quite understand is why he doesn't take the corners on both sides. I mean, I guess it's about shape, really, and counter-attack or whatever, but Young takes the corners from the other side. And yeah, that, that yeah. doesn't... It seems like, why wouldn't you just get Trippier to do a Beckham and take them from both sides? Right, right. Yeah, probably fair enough. Um, so, yeah, um, midfield will decide it, I think. And yeah. if England get uh, enough of Modric... And, and, hey, Modric's 32, just played 
240 minutes in the yeah, past week. That's true, yeah. It, that is it true. might factor into it. You know, I know England had the extra time as well, but they are a younger team. Um, and, yeah, maybe that will play a role if, if England, uh, you know, still in it come sort of 80 minutes or so. I meant to say about the France-Belgium game, one of the really nice things about this is this is like two real potentially good sides with all their weapons in hand. Because it's like there's there's not injuries, there's not suspensions, there's not you know it's it's these two teams can go at each other full bore you know, um, and I guess we're kind of hoping that Croatia have been England have had a, a, they had the, the tough one against Colombia, but they they weathered the storm against Sweden and didn't really have to expend vast amounts of energy either physical or crucially emotional. Because right. it wasn't a crazy roller coaster that they just about scraped their way through. And we have seen that take it out of teams along the way through tournaments. Um, so, you know, the fact that they had kind of a comfortable passage should mean they are ready by Wednesday night. A um, few hours more rest as well since they played first. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I don't know how much you're caught up in the, the sort of magic of it, but to me, like, I just can't believe that England are in another World Cup semi-final. I, I, I genuinely didn't think I'd ever see it again in my lifetime, basically, because it's been so long. We were children, Ed, and we're definitely not that now. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, yeah, well... 28 years since the semi-final. I mean, it's wrong, isn't it, then uh, England, uh, you know, as one of the big nations of football, uh, have been so poor in, in all tournaments, whatever. Um, I, I mean, uh, if you look at the way uh, the Spanish, the great Spanish sides of the last sort of 10 years developed, they developed from their youth upwards. And, and uh, England have been won- winning a lot of youth tournaments recently. So it may well be the next 10 years Ten years or so is, is very good for English football. And, and it's been very good over the last two weeks or so, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's... So what's your prediction for this game? I didn't do I got away without doing a prediction for the France game, I think. Um, can I exempt myself from both predictions for reasons of I've got a serious vested interest in both sides and I don't want to jinx anything at all. We have a vested interest. It's literally called United because this is United. Uh, yeah. <laughs> United. Um, okay. We have vested interest every week and we still come out with bollocks predictions. Well, so. they're not World uh, Cup semi-finals, are they? It's, come on, I mean, it's a different... We're dealing with... A well, Champions different... League finals, cup finals, there's been plenty of big yeah. games. So uh, I'm, I'm going to say... Um, much as I, hmm, hmm, hmm. I, I think maybe Belgium, maybe no, France going to nick it two one. Okay, um, and I'm going to get one nil to England. Come on. Yeah, I, I, um, I went to make my prediction there, and tears sprang to my eyes at the prospect of uh, being in England when they get to a World Cup final. So, uh, I'm going to predict a. Um, maybe, maybe I'm going to throw my libla under the bus and kind of offset my jinx, my total jinx allowance <laughs> by predicting a Belgium in now. I think France are going to beat Belgium, although I, I definitely can see Lukaku scoring some goals. Uh, okay, uh, this is torture. All right, two one. What I should really reconcile is that anything I say now has absolutely no bearing on the outcome um, so that's important to remember at this stage uh france two belgium two 
and then France went on penalties and tiring them out, you know, and all their good players get suspended. And then England beat Croatia in normal time 2 1. Oof. Oof. Well, we'll see whether you're correct. Um, I mean, or whether you've just uh, jinxed the French, which I think you might have done. I mean, almost certainly. Statistically, it seems unlikely that I'm going to be proven correct. Uh, Ed, so where are you watching? Where are, where are you watching on Wednesday? Have you have you made a plan yet? Uh, yeah, I think producer Tom's um, made a plan. He's um, producing your World Cup experience as well, isn't he? That's, he is. That's, he is. It's very good. efficient. I'm yeah. not. I'm not in the right city. I was. I was. Uh, I was, uh, was kind of tempted to uh, do one of the big uh, outdoor things with lots of people throwing beer in the sky, but uh, yeah. they're very popular. Yeah, they're all sold out. Um, I think that the way work is arranged, I think I'm going to end up watching the semi-final at home on my own, which I'm a, like slightly gutted by because it was really nice being with people for the quarterfinal. Yeah, um, it's a bit sad. It's yeah, sad. it's a bit sad, but I'll, yeah. Um, my dad well, you can was, have a bit of a cry-wank when Croatia win, can't you? I'm not going to do that. Um, my dad will phone me every seven minutes, which is what happens when England play. My dad does not follow football. He followed football for one summer in 1966. And uh, literally, and I do mean literally, cannot have a conversation about England without mentioning Bobby Charlton. Every single time. It's quite remarkable. So I'll be talking about Bobby Charlton a lot, I guess. <laughs> Very good. Well, um, you know, maybe when uh, when you're your dad's age, you'll be talking about Jesse, Jesse Lingard. Lingard. Yes, In- England and Man United's record ever goal scorer Jesse Lingard. <laughs> maybe it's got some catching up to do. Yeah, um, anyway, well, enjoy the game, uh, yeah. and uh, listeners enjoy the game too. Uh, yeah, apolo- uh, apologies and- to all our listeners from around the world who don't care about any of this. I should look at the stats, see how many, uh, how many listeners we have in Croatia. Uh, it's probably not too many, but sorry, lad. Yeah, sorry. Um, we definitely have some in both Belgium and France, though. So, Anyway, um, I don't know whether we're going to be able to squeeze in a World Cup final preview show, um, but we will definitely do a World Cup wrap-up show afterwards. Then we'll probably take a week off and then be back for United's pre-season. Um, yeah. well, which... we'll see. I mean, if England do get to the final, we may have to do a yeah, emergency 20-minute version or yeah, something like that. I think that might be that might be necessary. Um, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, come on, England, etc. and so on all right see you next week hi everyone producer tom here now i'm 29 and in my 29 years i've had a love hate well honestly more of a hate hate relationship with england national team i did grow up here and to be honest i found them very difficult to care about but this world cup has truly managed to change all that it's been bloody brilliant What is normally divisive has turned into something unifying. And given those of us living here in the UK, the chance to be part of something that feels like it's a little bit special. From Harry Kane's last-minute winner in the first match, one song has defined that feeling, and that song is Three Lions. We thought in the spirit of that, we'd look back at the great and mostly not-so-great England World Cup songs over the years. Apologies to our many non-English listeners as this is unabashedly and undeniably England-centric, but to be fair, it's coming home. We're not creative enough, and we're not positive enough. It's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, home. It's coming home.
we'll go on getting back, so getting back, so getting back, so getting back. Patreon backers. So just in case you're not absolutely sick of England talk, I just wanted to talk about the music a little bit. I mentioned in the, the main show that the the, the the song, it's three lines, it, and then the whole kind of it's coming home thing has is not just about the prospect of actually winning things, but has a sort of broader meaning than that. And it made me think, let's let's have a chat about the history of England songs. Ever bought ever bought an England record, Ed? Do no. You think? No. Okay. Of course, um, Three Lines wasn't a World Cup song either. No. So, oh, I mean, it became one, didn't it? Yeah. 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 I think it was reissued for France 98 as well. Well, they, no, it's got whole new lyrics and it's got kind of clips of, uh, it's got clips of people singing the song in, at Wembley in 96 in it and stuff. A nice extra texture to it, although the people that have three lines ninety eight above the original three lines, not having that, lads, absolutely not having that. No, 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 that's wrong, wrong. Anyway, yeah, um, it's it's uh, survived the test of time, hasn't it? Somewhat, yeah, uh, as a as a chant, and uh, Badil and Skinner are raking in the uh, the royalties right now. The Spotify streams must be that uh, must be a nice new source of revenue for them. It, it it belongs to a lineage that song does, which in the olden days, right before any of you lot were born, or most of you lot were born at least, um, football squads, including Manchester United, by the way, used to gather round in recording studios and sing terrible songs over bad synth backgrounds to well-known tunes mostly. Uh, and it would quite often get to number one just before the FA Cup final. They were the odd exception, like the brilliant Tottenham Chaz and Dave songs. It's a novelty record. Yeah, it's really good novelty record, though. Um, but yeah, they were like the bad kind of novelty records mostly. So in 1986, the England squad, famously in, I think, 1970, um, there was, uh, yeah, 1970, there was the, the song Back Home, which which kind of topped the charts and was quite a bit of a cultural a cultural icon. Um, and that was the sort of theme generally. <laughs> Every goal we are sorry 
But then, then in '86, there was "We've Got the Whole World at Our Feet," which is a kind of nadir Garbage. of football songs in many ways. Yeah, but it's, yeah, the standard formula. Yeah, they all got around a recording studio, looking like twats, and and sang a crap song. And then suddenly, for some reason, everything changed. Uh, like, how did New Order end up doing the official England song? Uh, and I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm sure there is a backstory there which I haven't researched. Um, but uh, it was um, it was New Order and Keith Allen, right? So you know, if, if double double cultural icon there. <laughs> um, I'm sure you all know Keith Allen as Lily Allen's dad. In fact, you're all too old too young to even know who Lily Allen is because she was successful like 10 years ago and you're 12. reading this directly from Wikipedia because I couldn't go on without knowing what had happened but the Football Association press officer David Bloomfield, who the nation owns a debt of gratitude um, contacted Tony Wilson because he loved Joy Division right. <laughs> like, and Tony Wilson was like yes, I'm in, we are absolutely in um, now the England players themselves were kind of embarrassed by being the idea of being associated with a football song because they'd grown up seeing the terrible ones and didn't want anything to do with it um, of course the great exception to that was John Barnes who participated in stunning style you've got to hold the gear but do it at the right time you can be slow or fast but you must get to the That goal at the Maracanã. Yeah, yeah, and and you know there was the cross for Lineker to get one back for England. You know, brave England losing out to the cheating RGs in the <laughs> quarterfinal, uh, or something like that. Um, no, yeah, um, Barnes definitely not doing the uh, round the microphone sing along. Um, uh, he's you know a, a great performance there in a in a great eighties tune. Even though this was nineteen ninety. The, it's clearly eighty synth. The um the video is really interesting because it looks incredibly cool and it makes the England players look really cool. And I think this is the first time 
football seemed cool in any way. Like football was, I don't know, football was shoot magazine and match magazine in the 80s. Like the idea of Mundial in the 80s would have been like unsustainable in any way, which is ironic given how much Mundial loved football from the 80s. Um, but but this, like John Barnes with the scoop neck in black and white on a kind of council, like with council estate, tower blocks in the background on a football pitch doing keepy uppies while new order sing and then and then he's kind of got the confidence to do that do the rap it was it was something quite special i thought yeah i mean completely different uh video as well as uh you know style of track um uh, st- still featuring i'm just watching it now still featuring some really dodgy haircuts oh That's chris waddle in it chris waddle with an actual literal actual mullet yeah yeah, and uh, hmm, yeah, yeah. Gas is not that far off. Well, he's got the, <laughs> <laughs> he's got some of it. Ah, Chris Waller, he was a player. He was. Um, the 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 thing about that song though is, Italian ninety generally changed the British public's relationship with football, in the way it was televised, the the kind of the mainstreamness of it, uh, and there was kind of the the precursor to when the Taylor report happened and, and you know, the, the demographics all changed uh-huh. and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And that Italian 90 sort of Ness and Dorma and all that played a part in that. And, and World in Motion kind of helped it to feel cool. And then we had 94 England weren't in it. And then 96, this remarkable thing happened, which for the first time ever, a football song that had nothing to do with the team at all became the de facto official song of the tournament. Um, a, a song written by an actual brilliant songwriter told from a fan's perspective became the only football song that you could say was a, a I mean the world in motion was significant and lots of people know the words to the rap but three lines has been chanted for however many years it's been since 1996 22 years that No, it's got the perfect mix. It's a pop song. It's super catchy. It's nostalgic. Um, it can be turned into a terrorist chant. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. It was. It's the perfect mix. And um, uh, you know, it, I guess it had to have that mix of of uh, sort of David Baddiel's literary qualities. You know, fine writer as well as comedian, and and Frank Skinner's sharpness of mind, and the lightning seeds. You know, at that at that moment, being a, you know a fine pop band, and they all came together um, with this moment of you know not the world, Europe coming to England, and uh, the celebration that that became. You know, I, I remember '96 very well. I remember being you know seeing fans from uh, all sorts of uh, uni at the time. Um, um, I think we had we had Croatia and Denmark and someone else. Uh, a few others in Sheffield, mm. um, uh, you know, and uh, it was a big party, and uh, I think this kind of fueled the spirit somewhat. Yeah, 
definitely. And and you know the phrase "song of a song of the summer" is is kind of a thing. And there was no doubt in 1996 what the song of the summer was, and it was this kind of pop, this kind of football ballad. Um, there's a brilliant clip from the Euro 96 documentary. I don't know if they showed this during the England coverage recently. I've definitely seen it recently, but I remember it from the really good uh, documentary that Alan Shearer fronted about the, about Euro 96 for the BBC and Badil and Skinner were interviewed about it and um, Frank Skinner relates Ian Brody coming to them with this kind of tune written and saying like, I, I really want to write a football song for, for the summer, but I'm not sure I can really write write the the lyrics to a football song and and Frank Skinner was like this is a guy famous for writing bittersweet love songs and what what is three lions if not for a bittersweet love song oh that's right um somewhat disappointing the 98 versions I mean there's this um uh sort of you know kind of really tame one um uh how does it feel to be on top of the world super tame uh, yeah, very, very like and, there's a, there's a United equivalent to this song, which I can't remember the name yeah. of. A late nineties United official song where they basically just try to sound like a kind of slightly cleaned up Oasis. Yeah, right. That's it. A few jangly guitars and yeah. and uh, some meaningless generic lyrics. Um, and then there was the Vindaloo Fat Les Listen. thing, which everyone will remember, but is part of crap. Come on. What? What? <laughs> oh my god, that is an outrageous. I am shocked. Shocked. That song is wonderful. I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm not sticking it on Spotify too often to listen to it. I've. I've, um, I've it, it caught a theme, though, didn't it? I've listened to it like probably twenty times in the last two weeks. Um, it. First of all, it's weirdly subversive and sure. kind of inverts expectations about England to some extent. Um, secondly, it's like catchy as all heck. One thing that's interesting about this is this sort of is part of what happens following Three Lions, which is for about 10 years, there are people trying to recapture the magic of Three Lions. And Vindaloo is the closest it ever got. I mean, you'll still hear the England band playing it and it's very sort of chantable. Um, I, I, I think it's... Don't tell me you like the England band. Oh no, they're the worst thing on earth. We we can go back to agreeing about something now. (laughs) The England band are Vuvuzelas, uh, only they they don't just happen for one summer. No, no. I mean, of course, Keith Allen's involved in this one as well. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's uh, obviously some of the inspiration behind what this is. I'm still, I'm still not listening to this. You, know, you should, by, you should by the way. It's, it's 
actually like really catchy, listable, kind of exciting. It's got this like really good march beat in the background and yeah, the kind of. I know it. I know it. It's, it's uh, well, uh, funnily enough, on the, in this Telegraph write-up of England songs that I've got um, here, it just says opinion is divided. So clearly, we represent some general thing about Vindaloo. Listeners, get in touch. Are you pro or con Vindaloo? Do more than you. Mm. Um, I, I just feel like Switzerland should repurpose that song. We're Switzerland, gonna score one more than you. Because they're quite a defensive team and actually have the right number of syllables. <laughs> yeah, uh, will be hard for many other teams. Um, have you have you caught any of the other World Cup songs uh, this year? Are there, are there any for any of the other nations? I have not listened to any. I, there, there, were, there have definitely been times when I have. No French rap. <laughs> not checked it out maybe there have been 2002 i think sort of strikes me as as the the worst it's not surprised that the kind of attempt to recapture the three lions lightning in a bottle failed when you look at the 2002 servings which included anton dex on the ball which is just upsetting um <laughs> I mean, upsetting for different reasons than there are to be genuinely upset now for whichever one of them it is that's having trouble. Uh, but the other one, do you remember Sven, 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 you're an Ericsson? Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Oh, God. Bad. For some reason, that's, that song has always slightly haunted me because the lyrics go, Sven, 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 you're an Ericsson. He's a lovely geezer, but don't forget that he's from Sweden. Sven, 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 Goran Eriksson. He's a lovely geezer, but don't forget that he's from Sweden. And that seems like really sinister to me. <laughs> it's like, what What are you saying? Are you saying that, like, even though he seems like he's a lovely geezer... He's, a, he's we actually can't... one of those dirty foreigners. Yeah, exactly. We can't really trust him. Wow. <laughs> Very upsetting. Yeah. England Crazy, Rider featuring Terry Venables, another 2002 uh, offering with a sort of, you know, um, Terry Venables doing his Frank Sinatra bit. Not, not a classic by any means. I think what we're learning here is there are only two good songs. Maybe we'll get some more after this. Now England have uh, now recaptured the public's hearts after being awful for the last few tournaments. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we need a kind of we need some some music that might actually be the kind of music that the people in the dressing room are listening to. Which is what I don't know. Like you know, young, what's on the playlist? Young people's music. Yeah. It's all noise, isn't it? Something, something with Stormzy. Get Stormzy involved. Did you have you seen the clip? Oh no, you're not like you're not out of the three people responsible for the rank cast, you're probably the least invested in Stormzy, but um he's performing in Ibiza during the penalty kicks for Colombia and uh Eric Dyer scores and then he goes into like um 
Big Feet Boots, which is one of his biggest hits, and it, it just has an amazing start. So the whole place goes absolutely nuts, and I think that's going to be a moment that every single person in that building remembers for the rest of their life. I saw a 20 second clip of it on social media, and I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. I shall take it out. <laughs> Music and football have got a strange relationship, haven't they? Because it is, I mean, you know, we go to the games and sing songs, pop songs get turned into football chants. Um, sometimes pop songs are just used whole cloth as football as football chants. But it's it's very rare that the conscious effort to blend the two has been successful. Uh, yeah, very rare. But, yeah, why should it be? So, um uh, I mean, at least, at least now the, gene- the genre has changed, or well, twenty years changed. Um, there's uh, there's more chance because you know they might actually try and make a decent record. Um, but but for the most part, like decent musicians aren't making songs about football, are they? Yeah. Apart from the Sultans of Ping FC, of course, and Half Man Half Biscuit, <laughs> right? <laughs> many many fine football references in the in the oeuvre of Half Man Half Biscuit. Um. All right, I, I enjoyed this. Maybe we've persuaded producer Tom to splice some clips from the songs into this, but he might well not have had time to do so. So if not, go and Google them and like play little bits of them while we're talking about them. That'll make it all make more sense. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. And we'll be back uh, with another one of these after the World Cup final. Oh, my God. Imagine if it's an England-France World Cup final. It's not ridiculous. It's not like, it's not much worse than a 50 50 shot, that, right? 